0: Prove it. People say, prove it. Prove prove it. there's a God. I had somebody write and say, prove there's a God. I want to say, well, prove me there's no God. I mean, if you want to say, prove there's a God, prove me that there's no God. You know, prove it. God is real. And if God is real, somebody said to me one time, if God is real, they have to prove it to me. And I said, well, how's he going to do it? You know, what we understand that signs really don't do it. When Jesus was on the earth... Uh, He did signs. It was to point to who he is. But the bottom line of the Gospel of John says, there are many other signs Jesus did, but these are written that you might believe, that they would point you to Jesus Christ, and then you could believe in him. But Jesus actually said that even, even if somebody was raised from the dead, that doesn't make people believe. Some people say that if they saw a sign, they would automatically believe. Well, Jesus did seven signs, eight counting the resurrection, and that didn't make people believe. And we're going to see what Elijah does here. And that doesn't make people necessarily believe. So signs, you know, if somebody say, if God would just give me a sign, I might believe in him. Well, not necessarily. Elijah declares that there's going to be a contest. Elijah declares the contest on Mount Carmel, and the true God will prove who he is. And as we continue, we're seeing probably one of the greatest events, really, in history. One that's famous. I mean, when you think of Elijah, most every time people think of two things. They think of the flaming chariot that comes and picks him up and then the big contest on Mount Carmel. That's what they think of. I think of the other things. I think of raising a little boy from the dead. I think of how uh, ravens came and fed him. I think of how the, the widow, the thing never, never ended out. And, and, and there's going to be another one uh, that we're going to see after the rain comes. There's going to be something else that God does that you're going to look at it and go, are you kidding me? You probably missed it. You probably missed it on what Elijah did. It's just amazing what is out there. So we're going to see that God has been preparing Elijah, faithful in the little things. He was supposed to go to the brook. He went to the brook. He, he was supposed to go to Ahab first and then went to Ahab. Then he went to the brook went to the brook. Then he went to Zarephath went to Zarephath. And, and then he did all kinds of different things. And now he's got to go see the king again. So he goes and sees the king again. And now he's faithful in the big things. And this is a public thing. Now, let me just say this to you. I said that raising that little boy from the dead was the one that got him prepared for this big event. But it was a private event. Who knew about that except maybe the, the, the widow and, and the son and Elijah. But this next event is going to be seen by the entire nation. They're all going to gather. Now, not every person, of course, but the nation as a whole is going to come to Mount Carmel, get up on top of that big old mountain, and they're going to see that what he does. And he's going to stand publicly before the nation the 400, before the nation, the 450 prophets of Baal. And so it's a powerful thing. I think the thing we've been talking about as we study this is we we need to be faithful in the little things so we can be faithful in the big things. I mean, if I said to any of us in this room, would you like that God would use you to do something big? Probably every one of us would go, well, yeah. Well, then if I said, would you be excited if God used you to do something little? And you go, well, yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to do something big. Well, the truth is, you've got to do little things before you can do big things. In fact, the bottom line, we are to be faithful in the little things, so they'll be faithful in the big things. Jesus said, if you're not faithful in little things, you won't be faithful. He that is faith, not faithful in little is not faithful in much. He that is faithful in little will be faithful in much. And so the bottom line, we are seeing that God is training Elijah. That's what he's doing. And he's doing the same for us. And we talked about it for the last <clears throat> several weeks that God is training us. That in our lives even now, sometimes we might feel that God's not really using us or nothing big is happening, and we say, when is something big going to happen or whatever? But the truth is, God is using us, training us, preparing us right now, and it's in every person you look in the Bible, from, from Abraham to Moses to Jesus to Paul, every one of those people that he used, they, they were off for a while getting ready. I mean, think of Moses. First 40 years of his life, he's trained in Egypt. And then the next 40 years of his life, he's off on the backside of the desert learning how to be a shepherd so that the final 40 years of his life, he can shepherd the nation of Israel. See, Paul trusts Jesus as his Savior on the road to Damascus. And then God takes him for three years in Arabia, training him. And you think of Jesus before he started his ministry at the very beginning. He goes out in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by the devil. I mean, it's that way. And, of course, when you look at Jesus' life, I mean, from, we saw him at six, basically at 12 years old, and then all of a sudden he's 30 years old. So here's the question. Are, are we faithful in the little things so that we can be faithful in the big things. That's what we want, and that's the plan. And so we hope for that'll happen. We want to do great things for God. Jesus says, be faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. So let me give you the whole outline of the passage. We're not going to see all of that this morning, but we're going to see the preparation of the context. He gathers and explains. He offers the question, who is the real God? And the prophets of Baal go first, and we see what their results is, and we won't get all the way to the end. Then in verse 30 this is where we'll start next week. But Elijah calls on God. The real God, he rebuilds the altar and we see what happens. So it's one of the most famous events in the Bible. And there's, you know, it's just, it's an amazing thing. And uh, uh, right after this is when God brings the rain because remember, he's already told him he's going to bring the rain. And so we're going to see how all of this happens. So let's, let's look at the contest. Uh, chapter, 17, uh, chapter 18, look at verse 17, when Ahab saw Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? He calls Ahab, uh, uh, Isaiah, uh, Elijah, he calls him the troubler of, of Israel when he's not. It's Ahab is the troubler. And so we're going to see that in 1 Kings 18, verse 20, Ahab is going to call everybody to Mount Carmel. If you notice that Elijah said, let's do that. Gather everybody, the 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are Jezebels, bring them together. Now, one of the things that's amazing... Sorry, I've got a lot of allergies today. One of the things that's amazing is, best I can tell, the 400 prophets of Asherah did not show up. 450 prophets of Baal do. So let's see what happens. In verse 20, Ahab sent a message <clears throat> among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. So they sent the word out. People come. By the way, Mount Carmel, I'm going to have a picture of it for you next week. It's it's about 18,000 uh, feet. It's between Sidon and... Uh, and it, basically, it's actually between what we call Sidon, which is where the god of Baal was, and Israel, which is the true god, Yahweh. So it's almost a halfway point, and it's going to be bringing together. There's a monastery today dedicated to Elijah. Elijah. On top of Mount Carmel. And so the people are going to now come and see the man who's who's stopping the rain, and and we're going to see what happens there, what's happened. So he raises the question. Notice verse 21, Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord, Y-H-W-H, is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. So he raises who is God. And to think about it. What, the same question is for every one of us in this room. Who is God? Is God the true God, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons who created the heavens and the earth, who does everything, who plans the salvation of mankind, the one that every human being will be accounted to, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess who he is? What do we think? Who is the real God? And they're all kind of gods in people's lives. Some people, it's their job. Some people, it's their family. Some people, it's their money. Some people, it's their hobbies. They're all kind of things that people put in front of God and actually worship it. I know they wouldn't say they worshiped it, but they put it way in front of God. And, And that's just the way it is. And so he asked the question, how long are you going to hesitate between two opinions? How long? If the Lord is God, if the Lord is God, then follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. And The people didn't answer. He asked, if Lord is God, follow if Baal is God. And I like what he says, how long will you hesitate? How long will you hesitate? The word hesitate means to limp. The Hebrew means to limp along. He's saying, you guys are limping along. You're just saying, well, I don't know if God's God. I don't know if Baal is God. I don't know if the Lord is God. They're going back and forth. And, you know, sometimes you look in the Old Testament and they would worship false gods. And think the false gods are the ones providing for them. And then God cuts it off because that was his promise. If you remember, when they came into the land in Exodus, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, God said this. He got the nation of Israel. He divided them into the 12 tribes, six tribes on one mountain, six tribes on another mountain. And on one tribe, one side, they said, if you obey me, I will bless you. All the blessings the other side said, if you disobey me, God will curse us. They gave the cursing and the blessing, and now they're in the cursing. Because the cursing was, if you disobey me, I will remove you from the land. And it's not going to be very long from now that they're going to be removed from the land. And they're worshiping false gods. So he says, how long are you going to be limping back and forth saying, well, Yahweh's God, maybe, maybe Baal's God. I think the problem is they, they didn't want to have to make a decision. Because they were afraid. You know, they, I think they were afraid. I think they were afraid to do. They were doubting. Tom Constable, one of my prophets at Dallas, said this. He said, perhaps the people were thinking that if maybe Yahweh let them down, they could go to Baal and vice versa. So they kind of wanted to have two gods and say, well, God is God, but Baal is God. And if we need Baal, we can go to Baal. And if we need God, we can go to God. And they were double-minded. They doubted what to do. That's what the word limp means. It means the idea of going back and forth. And the doubt had brought discouragement. And discouragement led to distrust. And distrust led to disobedience. And that's what they're doing. And he basically says, how long are you going to make a decision? And let me say this. There are a lot of Christians? Same decision. How long are you going to live for yourself or are you going to live for God? We already know. You trust in Jesus as Savior. You say, I have eternal life. I know I'm saved. What are you doing with your life here? Are you living for Jesus Christ or are you living for yourself? And there are a lot of Christians who say, well, you know, I just I just go through life. That's right. And we're limping back and forth sometimes. The decision is, are your life going to be for Jesus Christ or is it going to be for yourself? And that's what happens a lot. Well, they were afraid, I think. I, afraid, I think they were afraid to answer, and I think they didn't want to decide. And so we're going to see the challenge. Look at verse 22. Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450. Now, Elijah's not exactly right. I don't mean this bad. But we already know that Obadiah had already hidden 100 prophets in caves. So he's not the only prophet of God. But what I think he's meaning that day is, I'm here, me by myself, and then there's 450 of them. And he he probably said, that makes it about even. You know, I mean, the bottom line is Elijah is the true prophet of God. And these 450 prophets of Baal are false prophets. You know, in the Old Testament, if you gave a prophecy, you claim to be a prophet of God, you gave a prophecy, it didn't come true. What were they supposed to do with you? What were they going to do? They're going to kill you. If you claim to speak for God and you don't speak for God, then they put you to death. That's why I think as a pastor, look, my goal is not to stand up and tell you what I think. My goal is to teach the Scripture because this is God speaking to us, not me. I, that's why when I say I'm teaching through Matthew or Mark or Luke or John or whatever or through Elijah or whatever, through, the, through the passage in First Kings, it's not what I'm going to tell you. It's what the Scripture tells you, and that's the key. Because I've known pastors that get up and they just talk, and they're really good talkers, but they don't say anything. And then I've seen pastors get up and they talk about the Bible, but they don't teach the Bible. The role of the pastor is to teach the Scripture. It is not my opinions. I may say something to you like, listen, nobody knows this. Here's what I think. But I'm telling you that's an opinion. I'm not telling you that's God's Word. I'm not telling you that's truth. When we look at the Scripture, it is God's Word, and it is truth. And that's why Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so here we see this contest going on, and here's the challenge. And he stands up and says in verse 22, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. I'm here. And the prophets, Baal's prophets are 450. And so you see this contest. Can you imagine standing there on that mountain? If you're Jewish, you're standing there like this, and you're watching, and there's one man there, Elijah, and he looks funny. He's got all stuff, and, you know, he, he's standing out there, and he's challenging. And then over here are these huge number, 450 prophets who worship and and tell everybody that Baal is the true God. The word Baal, by the way, is an Aramaic word for master. It means master, and, and master or God. So that's why they call him Baal. And and so here it is, and and, and so here's the plan. Let's look at the plan. He says, now let them give us two oxen. Each one, they're going to get oxen, I'm going to get oxen. Let them choose one ox for themselves, cut it up, place it on the wood, put a fire under it. I will prepare the other ox, lay it on the wood, and I will not put, a, uh, put fire under it. Um, uh, and so what we're going to do, I, I read it wrong, but there's no fire. Neither one has a fire underneath it. And then he says this. So here's the plan. Then you call them the name of your God. He's talking to the prophets. I'll call them the name of the Lord, Yahweh, and the God who answers by fire. He is God. And the people said, that's a good idea. <laughs> I could just see the people say, that's a good idea. Now, what you think at first is uh, they're going to have a contest, and he's building an altar, and they're building an altar. They're getting the thing. They're getting the thing. They're standing there, and he's going to call on God, and they're going to call on God, which one wins. He did not do that at all. He said, y'all just go first. I'll stand over here. Y'all just do your thing. I'll, I'll build mine later. Go ahead, build y'all's." And I mean, of course, they do it. They build it and they get everything set up and they get the thing up there and they start calling on God, on Baal. And he's just standing over there watching. And you could say, don't you think you know to make one get ready? Lord? What happens? You know, get ready. He says, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. And uh, so he says will call upon the name of the Lord, and whoever is God will answer by fire. By the way, the true God always makes himself known. You understand that? God makes himself known. Listen, how has God revealed himself? Now, there's been a lot of different ways, but there's three big ways. God has revealed himself through the world. Romans chapter 1 says that through the, through the creation We can see the eternal power in Godhead. Number two, through the word of God. He has revealed himself through his written revelation. And number three, through his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says that God has made himself known in these last days through Jesus. So God has revealed himself through our creation, through the word of God, and through the son, Jesus Christ. And so the true God always makes himself known. Um, Bottom line. I've told you all this story. I've got time, so I'm going to tell you. I I had a friend... He's now he I mean he's like in his sixties, but I knew him when he was twelve years old, and he grew up in Korea, South Korea, and his daddy was a professor, and his daddy he got up every morning, went to a closet, his daddy made him get up, he's five years old, gets up, goes to a closet, opens the closet there's a picture of there's a a statue of Buddha, and his father says every morning he will worship Buddha, and from five years old, six years old, seven years old. Every morning, he got up and got in front of that statue and worshiped Buddha. But here's what he told me. Because his father took a job at Mississippi State, moved from Korea to the United States to Starkville, Mississippi, and started teaching at Mississippi State. And, of course, he came, and when he came, he was about 12 years old. I met him when he was 12. He told me that as a boy, he would sit in front of that statue, and he said to himself, That's not God. (laughs) He said, I don't know who God is, and I know that God must be real, but this isn't God. And so God takes him and his family all the way to Starkville, Mississippi, and they live about a block from the church that we all went to, Naps Church in those days. And he came down the street one day, and we all started talking to him, and we told him about the true God. And he said, I knew that wasn't God, and I knew there's a real God somewhere. And let me tell you, the real God lets himself be known. If anyone wants to know the true God, he will make himself known somehow. Even if he has to move you across the whole world, he'll get the word to us. Well, it says here, you call upon the name of your God, I'll call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, He's God. And the people said, that sounds like a good idea. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you choose one ox for yourself. Prepare it first for your many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So he basically says, guess what? You get to go first. And so he tells them to go first. And so there's a whole bunch of them. And so they got it. Verse 26, they took the ox, which was given to them, and they prepared it. And they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Now morning usually was about nine. Almost every group... Uh, especially tied in with the nation of Israel. Because remember, most of these people were Israelites. There was a morning sacrifice at nine and there was an evening sacrifice at three. So at nine in the morning, they usually came to the temple if they could or there was a, a sacrifice. And then at three in the afternoon, if you remember, Jesus Christ was put on the cross at what time? Nine o'clock in the morning, that was the time of the morning sacrifice. At three o'clock in the afternoon, that's when he said, My God, my God, you have forsaken me. That's when he's the evening sacrifice, paying for the sins of mankind. Well, now they start, it says, in the morning. It says, they prepared it and called on the name of the Baal from morning until noon. Now, it's halfway in between. And they kept calling out, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no answer. And they leaped around the altar that they made. Now, can you picture that? They're leaping around the altar. I mean, think of 450 of them. They're probably going in groups. They probably say, we need 20 over here now. And they're, you know, they up there. And then they, those 20 get tired of jumping and screaming and doing everything else. And there's no answer. In fact, it says, they called upon the name of Baal. Oh, answer us. But there was no voice and no answer. That's, there's nothing. There's not, why is there nothing? Because Baal is not a god. Listen, there are no other gods. People talk about false gods, and the Bible talks about false gods, but there's no such thing. There is one God, then there is a demonic being, an angel, who is bad. That's Satan, and there's some angels that went with him. They are not gods. They're angels. They're created beings created by God. When a person worships a false god, they're worshiping something that's not a god. They're actually worshiping Satan because anything false that is contrary to the true God is the only other thing there is, is the demonic aspect of it. So when people say there are a lot of gods in the world, they're meaning that men, people, worship things as gods, but they're not any gods. And so when old Baal, they're screaming for Baal, Baal is not a god. There's nothing there. In fact, if you read some of the Psalms and some of the Proverbs, it talks about how stupid it is that a man will take a tree, he'll cut down the tree, half of the tree, he will make a fire and warm himself. The other half of the tree, he'll fashion it into a statue and worship it. He says, you take a tree and you use part of it to warm yourself, and the other part, you worship. And then he says, how stupid you are. And then it says, in some places they have eyes, but they can't see, and they have ears, and they can't hear, and their mouths can't talk. They have feet, they can't move. They have hands, and they can't do it. I mean, they're nothing. Listen, there is only one God, and that is the true God, our God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. And you may, you know, there are false gods in that sense. There are demonic forces out there. but they're, So they're calling upon something that doesn't exist. And that's why there's no answer. And there's no answer, and they're leaping around, and they're doing everything. Now, I love this next part, and we've got just a minute or two. So it says, it came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, call out with a loud voice, for he is a God. Either he is occupied or gone aside or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and he needs to be awakened. This verse, listen, it says he called out. He says, call out with a loud voice. You know what he's saying? Maybe he can't hear you. Okay? Then the second thing, he's occupied. You know what occupied means? He's using the bathroom. He's making a joke. He said, maybe he's using the bathroom, and that's why he can't come. And then he says, maybe he's gone on a trip, but he hadn't got back yet. Or maybe he's asleep, and you need to wake him up. He's making fun of them. Now, can you imagine in front of all these people? They've got their altar. They've got their oxen on it. They're jumping around. We're going to see what they're doing in just a minute. They're calling out, and he's standing over there going, you know, he could be using the bathroom. He, he could have gone on a trip. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe if you call out louder, you can wake him up. Can you imagine this? Now, what do you think Elijah thinks is going to happen? Do you think Elijah thinks that when he sets his altar up, puts everything on it, that God's going to answer with fire? I think he thinks that, did God tell him he would? Did God tell him to do this? I don't know. It does it say God told him to do this? I don't know. He's pretty confident. I'm, you know, if they're lighting up groups to be on, I'm going to be on Elijah's side every time because he's pretty confident on what he's doing. And so he's pretty amazing. And I love this. He says, uh, call out with a loud voice. Maybe he can't hear you because may- he's a God. Maybe he's occupied. Maybe he's using the bathroom. Maybe he's on a journey somewhere and he just didn't back it. Maybe he's falling asleep and you need to wake him up and look. look uh, oh, by the way, I want you to understand, look at the true God, our God. He's never busy. He's never asleep. He never leaves us. You can call on the true God anytime, place, anywhere, about anything. God hears everything. He knows everything. He never leaves you. He's never asleep. He, as the Bible says, he never slumbers or sleep. He, he's always there. You can call on him anytime, anyplace, anywhere, about anything. So look, they responded. So look what they did. So they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out of them they're jumping around this thing and they're taking knives and swords and they're cutting their legs and their arms and they're letting blood come out thinking somehow God will show us mercy because we're, we're so, uh, we want God to answer us. We want Bell to answer us. And so they cut themselves. You know, religion is that way. Religion is just a bunch of activity, by the way. That's all it is. It's man trying to please God. You know, you see people and they do this and they do this and they do this. And you look around the world and there are people doing all kind of ridiculous things. Somehow thinking they're going to get God's attention or that God's, you know, that they're going to earn God's pleasure. Look, God, true Christianity is God-pleasing God, not man-pleasing God. God so loved the world, he gave his son. God-pleased God, not man-pleasing God. And so there's no answer. They're screaming. They're jumping up around. Look, it says, and when midday was past, now it's it's past that, they raved until the time of the evening sacrifice. What time is that? It's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But there was no voice, no answer, no one paid attention. I love it. No voice, no answer, no attention, nothing. Can you imagine this? By the way, it's going to come a little further down. It says, when the midday was past, they raved until the time of the evening sacrifice. So now they've been doing this at least for six hours, at least for six hours. And all he's been doing there is, he's probably said, I'm going to go get some lunch in a minute. I'll come back, you know, see how they're doing. I mean, just picture this. It's powerful. You know why there's no voice, no answer, no attention? Because there's no true God, no, no Baal is not the true God. There is no such thing as Baal. By the way, there's no such thing as Asheroth. There's no such thing as Chemosh. Those are all these gods for these nations around Israel. That's why God said when you go into the land, remove those people. Do not intermarry with them because they will turn your heart away and you will focus on gods that are not gods. And we look at Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. He married You know, 700 women, 300 concubines, a 1,000 wives, and they turned his heart away because many of them were unbelieving women who worshiped false gods. Who did Ahab marry? Jezebel. Where was she from? Sidon. What was her god's name? Baal. Now, here is Ahab, the king of Israel, who is supposed to worship the true god, Yahweh, and he's worshiping Baal. That's why people say things like, should a believer marry an unbeliever? No. Should a believer marry a non-fired-up believer? No. I've had people come to me and say, "I, i got a girlfriend, but she's not a believer. You better be very careful. I've had people come and say, I'm a believer, my husband's a believer, but he's not very fired up. Or the one I'm thinking about marrying, he's a believer, but he's not very fired up. I say, you deserve something better than that. Listen, do not connect with something that's going, that's going to take you down, and that's what's happened here. Well, now Elijah calls upon the true God. Look at verse 30. This is where we're going to stop. When Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. That doesn't tell us that, but when they got there, most likely there had been an altar to the Lord that Elijah said, I'll just use this old one and I'll repair it, and I'll fix this one. And I want to i want to read something to you, and then we'll see it next week. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, whom the word of the Lord had come. And then so with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench around the altar. What for? Large enough to hold two measures of seed. It's a big old trench. Then he arranged the wood, and he put the ox in place and laid it on the woods. And then he said, fill... Four pictures with water. Pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. That way it won't just catch fire by itself. We're going to make it wet. Pour it on the wood. Do it a second time. They did it a second time. Do it a third time. And it says the water flowed around the altar and also filled the trench with water. Here's the question. So they're going to call down fire. So he's dampening the whole thing so it'll be wet. So if the fire comes, it's going to have to be real fire. Let me ask you this question. If there's the drought, where did they get the water? Where are they? On Mount Carmel? Where's Mount Carmel? It's on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. They went down there and got the water out of the sea and brought it up because there's no other water. We'll talk about it next time. So, the challenge. Let me give you an application. Let's trust and follow Jesus. He is the true God. The question is, Elijah asked, who is God? And so there's two things. And for, for us, we don't, most of us don't need the first one. That is to believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life salvation. He's the one. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, in fact, I know every one of you. So uh, if I were to say, if you kn- do you know Christ is Savior? I'm hoping and praying that every one of us in this room, you've already trusted in Christ as Savior. But the second thing is, let's follow him. Let's live for him. Let's be faithful in the little things so we can be faithful in the big things. Let's live for him and, and bring honor and glory to Jesus in everything we do. So next time, we're going to see how God answers. And we're going to see what happens to the prophets. And we're going to see what happens about the rain. And then we're going to see what happens with him and Jezebel.